Prado looking, throws it, alley, oh, he puts it down, he puts it down, it's over! Just Basketball Show, the first of the NBA season, it's Monday, October 30th. I'm Brendan Clean. that over there is Chris Manning. There are days where you plan around the NBA calendar and it disappoints you. We have Nuggets, Thunder, which is a little bit of a dud to break down. We'll get to our signature teams, the Kings and the Magic, who we are anxious to break down and some other NBA trends from week one of the NBA season. But we are joined most importantly by, honestly, the guest I'm most hyped about that we've had on yet, Chris. I don't know if you feel similarly, but it is Jack, a.k.a. Jokic Joestar, he is all over your TikTok feed. He is great on Twitter and has his own podcast as well. Just the king of NBA content, if I do say so myself. We're going to do our unlikely but possible NBA predictions. One through, I only did four. I don't know why. I don't know where I got that number. But we're going to break down four to five of each of our NBA predictions that are somewhat legit uh, after we talk about this game. But uh, let's start there, folks. We... Got a 128-95 to Nuggets win. We started setting up to record before it even ended because it was incredibly lopsided. And uh, I know, Jack, that is great news to you. Um, We'll go to the Nuggets in a second, but that feels a little more understandable. The part that I think has to be the headline of this game is... I've never seen Shea Gilgis-Alexander get solved like that. I've never watched a game and felt like he was confused. And he definitely looked like he was swallowed up by that defense today. Yeah, I mean, that's... uh, I I recorded a little bit uh, at the end, uh, like... Honestly, like seven minutes left in the quarter or whatever. And like the first big takeaway I had for Oklahoma City was like, this might be the worst SGA game I've ever seen, at least since like he took that, even like just like a fringe all star step. I'm not talking 30 a game last year, including the year prior. This might be the worst SGA game I've ever personally tuned into. It was just like, a combination of it felt like an off night for a lot of people on the Thunder in terms of like the spacing they were able to provide him. And when you kind of like stop buying in on those three point looks and you can collapse on what SGA does in the paint with his like bumps and floaters and things like that. It felt like that combined with the fact that when he did get to those floaters that he liked so much, gets a little space off KCP or whoever it was just coming off the back rim a lot. Uh, and so, like, I don't know if I would say solved. I think if they play that game nine more times, he averages maybe, like, 25, 26 or whatever. That's me being, like, a homer for the Nuggets, being a good defense or whatever. But it was definitely a poor outing for him, jarringly so. You expect him to be a really good basketball player, and he really wasn't in this game. Chris, I feel I, like I we watched in the World yeah. Cup where he – had the entire defense stacked up against him, and he solved that. So this one just it, it had me scratching my head, but maybe it is just an off-shooting night. It felt bigger than that, though. It felt like the help got to him a little bit. The help defense, the, the collapsing into the pain, all that stuff seemed to affect him. Yeah, if I had a theme of this game, guys, I, I think where I would go is it. this wasn't quite like adults playing kids. I don't want to like go that far, but there's a physicality difference between these two teams, right? Like the Thunder are so young. They're all kind con- like look at Chet and Jokic. They're two different species of human in terms of their <laughs> thickness. Like Jokic is like absolutely burly had Chet in hell. I think physically 
even though Chet had some moments, one through five with the Nuggets starting lineup, all those guys are like grown ass NBA players who are bigger and stronger and more physical. And the way the Nuggets play team defense, the way they know where to be, how in sync they are on top of that physicality. That's just a really, I think that's a really hard test for a younger team like the Thunder. And I think when they were so dialed in like this, that kind of is the best way probably to defend SJ. You're probably not going to slow him down one-on-one unless you have like prime Kawhi or someone to throw at him. It's going to be team defense. It's going to be physicality. It's going to be making his life hell, getting to his spots and, and getting off his shots and not to, and not letting him do the very shifty Shea things he's really great at. Yeah, I thought we saw some solid moments of physicality from Jalen Williams. I think especially at the beginning of that second quarter when he was kind of anchoring the second unit, he made some mistakes, just I think had a bad foul and turned the ball over a couple times, but he's so good driving to the basket that he allows you to kind of forget about that stuff. And I thought he looked pretty solid, but other than that, I mean, Kassan Wallace looks like a good backup guard for them. Mm-hmm. That, that seems like we can kind of, plant a flag there that after summer league and now it's only been a week, maybe he goes through some slumps shooting, but intense physical defender and then kind of nice off ball offensive player. But a lot other than that, I, I struggled to find a lot of positives for Oklahoma city, of course, losing by 33. That's understandable, but I want to <laughs> spend some time, Chris on, on what you said with the, the Jokic Chet matchup. Cause I think that was the other obvious headliner from this game. I think uh, Bowser to Bowser is the guy on Twitter who he runs or he, I guess, runs, publishes, whatever you want to say, the basketball action dictionary. And he's really good on clips and stuff. And he was drawing attention to the fact that Jokic was driving and rolling more than like maybe his comfort zone or like regular season need tends to like make him do. And that seemed to be maybe an indication that he was taking this one somewhat seriously because Chet did throw the first punch. He made a three, he drove to the basket. He was kind of challenging Denver's defense as a pick and pop guy. And then it feels like Jokic was just like, no, no, we're not messing around like that. It's (laughs) Sunday afternoon. I got to get home. I got to relax. Like we're ending this one early. I'm going to play 30 minutes and we're going to go to bed. Um, what did you think of of that head-to-head, Jack, with the rookie versus the Sage MVP, reigning finals MVP? Well, it's it's a matchup from hell for Chet defensively. Offensively, I didn't really – he had 17 in the first half, and I didn't realize it because I guess Jokic was just like pretty handily outdueling him to the point where it's like, okay, you had 17, your guy created like nearly 30 or whatever. Um, to me, it kind of felt like Jokic and honestly the Nuggets as a whole treated this game a little bit as an extension of the previous game against uh, like an – undermanned Memphis team that has similar shades to Oklahoma City in terms of like youth and things like that in that Memphis game they did not play with any of this like sense of urgency or physicality albeit Memphis is a much more physical team and it's kind of hard to like bully them the same way they did Oklahoma City today but it definitely felt like Denver took a lot of the flaws they had last game that resulted in a very close game that shouldn't have been that way and yeah, like Jokic, he attempted like eight shots before the clutch against Memphis. And today he was very clear, like, okay, if it takes 30 in two and a half quarters for me to win this basketball game, that's totally fine. That's what needs to happen. And like, yeah, um, uh, Oklahoma City, I wrote down they have like buff guys 
but Denver is a big team and like it's a yeah. pretty mm-hmm. stark difference. Uh, Dort and Jalen Williams, they're both like big, and the commentators always say that they're like, yeah, that's a stocky guy or whatever. But when you ask them to like match even a Porter Jr., where you're giving up half a foot or something like that, much yeah. less Aaron Gordon, who is doing that and can also hit his head on the rim, it's just like that's that's a very brutal task for someone who is young. I think Dort is going to be capable of that at some point in his career, uh, but I just don't think it's right now. It's a great point. The other, th- I think. The other thing. Yeah, with, go, Chris. Yeah, go ahead. No, the other thing I think with Chet, I want to just in watching him early in the season, the physicality stuff didn't really come up to me with him specifically. Like it didn't against Nikola Vucevic, who was another like strong, maybe not as burly or as bruising as Jokic, obviously, but a bigger guy. He didn't look outmatched the other night against Evan Mobley, who is also pretty skinny. But that I think tells you something a little bit about where Mobley's at at this point in year three versus Chet, who's in year one, but you know, year two. Jokic, like I, I think there's there's there would be like a easy reaction to look at this with Chet and and be like, okay, like is this his weakness as a rookie? But how many times is this really going to be a massive issue for him? I would say this game, Embiid. You know, if Giannis is at the five, I think like the Bucks would be another one. I I would I would say I, it would be on AD to really press that when well, Casey plays the Lakers. But it's not exactly like the league is littered with these guys who physically are gonna crush him. He's not as strong as like anyone he's gonna play this year. Like even if he goes against Nick Claxton, Nick Claxton is stronger. But it's not. He's not gonna get bowled over. I think every night it's going to just be like Jokic and it's going to be these elite, elite kind of monsters. And if I'm OKC, I'm just like, okay, for right now we can survive that. And I kind of like that. They're not, they haven't like panicked and said, okay, let's change the way we want to play and put Chet at the four. They're, they're, they're looking ahead a little bit by letting him go through this right now, I think. Yeah. And I'll be interested to see Sabonis as an example, kind of that in between where it's like height wise, maybe they're a little bit even athleticism, maybe they're close to even, or maybe Chet even has the advantage, but just the strength loony players like that, that are maybe strong, but not athletic. How does Chet kind of use his advantages against guys like that? Uh, But it's a great point. I think to, to Jack's point too, though, it's, a game or a matchup where you start to realize that like Jalen Williams is not a power forward in the modern NBA. Right. And Lou Dort also is not really in terms of size either. This is a team that has like big wings at every spot, but not exactly, you know, especially with Usman Jang still coming along slowly and has not looked like really an NBA player yet and different guys like that. It's like, that's kind of the missing piece. They don't have it right now. So it does leave Chet a little bit exposed. We'll have to see how everybody continues to adjust on this team. And if they face each other again, which of course the Thunder will have another shot at this, how do they kind of react? Both Shea, Chet, everybody else. And this team has to get a little healthier too. The other Jalen Williams was out today uh, on down the line, but Let's move on. Unlikely but possible predictions for the 2023-24 NBA season. Uh, A bit that uh, I believe it was Zach Lowe originally kind of went through. And the point is just to let loose a little bit. It can be serious stuff. It can be big picture. It can be really granular. It's just whatever we want. Stuff that we kind of want to happen or we're thinking might, but also very well could not happen and it's supposed to be fun so please don't uh, attack us here 
Jack, I will let you kick us off here as you are our guest. What is your first unlikely but possible prediction for this NBA season? Um, This was I, – I, I did – Three fully baked ones and then a smattering of just like stupid one-liners that we can roll through later if needed. My favorite one I put together was the Bulls keeping their big three for the entire season. Um, Because especially I wrote that like three days ago. And then after the Levine 50 ball that wasn't close against Detroit, I was like, this this is fucking phenomenal. Like this is my one to start with just because – it's glaringly obvious to everyone here and everyone I talk to that the Bulls need to blow it up, and it has been for like a year and a half at this point. Uh, but uh, Chicago's front office is like not only dumb, but they feel contrarian a lot of the time. Where like they'll just be like, "No, we're keeping it together because we don't." I don't know for whatever reason. And I could definitely see um, if Levine gets like uh, that annual 34 point streak where he scores a bunch in like eight or nine straight games and they win like six straight games that could be enough justification for uh, the bulls front office to be like no there's there's something here let's make some moves (laughs) around the edges and let's let's see what we got come playoff time so yeah that's my first one is there somebody in that bulls front office who's like guys we had this comp like is there like a snapchat like the anniversary thing it does instagram <laughs> like the time hop situation where somebody can be like no we did this already we've talked about this before every year for five years has anyone kept up with the fact that that didn't actually work the other times uh, also jack i love the i love the prediction but um you got to say mid three that's <laughs> yeah that's yeah, the nickname. My, my fault that's yeah the i suppose yeah. so the mid three yeah. The mid three. That's that's Bulls fans go to phrase for them. So I think we got to honor that. Um, Chris, I like yours more than mine. So I want you to go next here. Unless you have Bulls thoughts, because I'm all for laughing. Well, at I, that have, team I, have, I, I have I have players I have on the I, first night of the season. There's I, a lot there. I ha- I have a Bulls prediction. Okay. This is a great Sweet. synergy. OK, let's get it. A- Alex Caruso, game win shot, bald king. Alex Caruso will be the most impactful player dealt at the trade deadline. Ooh, I like that. I like I, that a lot. I, I think this is someone that if he ends up in the right situation, he plays big. He can defend a bunch of spots. He's gonna. He's kind of got the obviously he's got that PJ Tucker energy where he doesn't want to shoot as much as you would like. But this is a guy mm-hmm. that can be a top six, seven guy on a playoff team. I think lots of teams will need him. You know, maybe you're right. You know, the, the Bulls just are contrarians. It'll be like, you know what, the play in. Is great, and they were probably all just living down having like traded Jimmy Butler at one point, which is like the really original <laughs> sin of of how you get here. But Caruso is someone that if he ends up getting dealt, and I think they should deal him. I think they could get value for him, and I absolutely think he can be someone that can make a really really big impact on the title race this year if he goes to a certain number of teams. I totally agree with that. Um, like I feel. When, when you talk about uh, from the Bulls perspective, I guess, and in terms of like uh, what he would get them in return, I feel like he's almost more valuable than uh, Vucevic just because there would be a bidding war for Caruso. Pretty much any team mm-hmm. that needs a guy like that to push them over the top. Sacramento springs to mind for me. Uh, they would be happy even overpaying for a guy like that a little bit just because they're not going to like find somebody like that through the draft or free agency it looks like um 
Yeah, I think and Vucevic, like they'd be lucky if somebody wants him right now with the extension they just moved. So yeah, I think uh yeah, I like that. I think he will be at least like top five impactful guys, because uh, I think he could fill out a nice Bruce Brown esque role for a team that's mm-hmm. like winning a championship, maybe. Caruso might have the best role player contract in the league. I mean, he makes less than ten million dollars this year and next year, and his value is way beyond that. I think we all agree. Um, I don't love this prediction, Chris, because it would entail a pretty bad trade deadline. Uh, and I like excitement. No, I'm saying yours. If Caruso <laughs> oh, yeah. is the best guy to move, that would be like that would be awesome in terms say, of I didn't say Caruso best. I didn't going say, I somewhere. I didn't say best. Uh, uh, hold say? on. I didn't say best. I said most impactful. That's an important I didn't say distinction. Bad. Okay. There's, there's a key distinction in my verbiage here, Brendan Clean. This is a guy that's going to make an impact. Like I like James Harden's probably going to get dealt. Okay, like some there's going to be another big name at some point, and we're going to be like, "Wow, Jeremy Grant got traded! Holy crap!" Okay, this is the this is the guy at the deadline that's actually going to like contribute to winning basketball when 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 the games get really in the mud. I like it. So there was news. One last thing on the Bulls this week that team meeting, team meeting. Well, that was also news, correct? But uh, the that Demar Derozan doesn't appear to be on his way to an extension with this team. Is he more, could he be more impactful if they did trade him? If Jack's prediction comes wrong, uh, does not come true. And Chris's, I guess also wouldn't come true. DeRozan feels like a guy who could get dealt here. Where would he fall in the impactful power rankings on, on deadline day? Do we think he can make an impact somewhere? Yeah. It just depends where he goes. Is it Philly? Like Philly's kind of the one that kind of stares out is even if there's some concerns about defensively him and Maxi, even if he's defending up, like they need a ball handler to replace Harden. That would be kind of the spot. But like what other contender I think really needs a DeRozan? It's really only Philly among the teams that have real aspirations this year, I would argue. I like the Knicks. Give me the give me DeRozan on the Knicks. That's interesting. No? The okay. Knicks are kind of in the mix for a bunch of people. Um, I feel like the Philly fit is a lot more natural uh, in terms of what they need. However, in terms of impact, uh, DeRozan is way better than Caruso. And it's just like, I don't know. If a team moves for Caruso and they get into big playoff games, I feel comfortable that he can do what they task him with doing. If Philly moves for DeRozan and they're like, we need 27 a night uh, for like a conference finals berth or whatever. Like you need to consistently be a really good score for the entire playoffs. I feel like DeRozan's just like showing us time and time again, that's probably not going to pan out. Yeah. If they could get him to like maybe him and Tobias kind of sharing the third option role with Maxi really established as the second guy. Uh, I like that more in Philly, but still, I don't know. I'm not I'm not a big DeRozan guy, I guess. It's all fair. All right, I have my can, first can one. I, can, can I just ask you one last DeRozan thing, Brendan? Sure. Just does what was the reason that he got traded from Toronto in the first place? Have we just kind of like forgotten that, I guess? Because he's now older. And he was traded not because he wasn't good. It's because he got roasted defensively over and over again in the playoffs. Like, I think like a team that trades for him is going to have to be able to ride that. I think that's kind of baked mm-hmm. in with him. Even like that's, that's that, that would be my concern. Like the Knicks and to your point, to your credit, the Knicks might be the team that just has like every annoyingly big wing to, to figure that out. 
Yeah, probably a team that can bench him if needed in the playoffs. Probably a team that doesn't commit itself to having to re-sign him because we don't know how long he's going to remain impactful. I mean, he's getting older, even though he continues to kind of defy his age a little bit and improve and add different kind of components, the passing, the more balanced, maybe offensive approach, this and that, but we'll see. All right, my first one. I'm going to ignore... something that actually already happened in the real world when I make this one, just because it sounds better. And then I'll give the caveat that I do understand the history of <laughs> recent NBA basketball. And then, you know, I'll acknowledge that. But Jamal Murray and Chris Apps Porzingis both make their first all-star game. Now, Porzingis didn't make it because he actually ended up being injured the year that he got named to the team. So this is technically still factually true. But the main point is I think they'll both make the team this year. I think they're both going to be kind of the story of their team in each respective situation and kind of finally get the hype and praise that we've been waiting to give them, I think, in both instances. Uh, what do you think, Chris? Is this is this the year for, for these two guys? I first thought you were going to say All-NBA, and I was going to, like, fall out of my chair. <laughs> I'm not opposed. I mean, I think it could happen. If they make for Murray, the All-Star I, team, all they got to do is do it again for 20 more games, and they'll be in the conversation for that, too. It's positionless now. As long as they're healthy, play 65 games, they'll be there. Murray, I think it's possible. Porzingis is a little harder for me to envision, but I, I like it. I think like the Celtics, if they win a bunch of games, there's going to be a way to push them for three All-Stars. Porzingis would certainly be a part of that success. And I think Murray, this feels like a year to some degree in a way that he's earned it. That's going to be... Put some put the crown on Murray's head a little bit and give him some love that he hasn't gotten so far in terms of awards, All NBA, All Star stuff like that. I I don't know. I feel like Murray, I'm seventy five percent on, and Porzingis, I'm probably closer to fifty percent. And that's just like based off vibes. Even though the East front court is probably shallower than the West uh, backcourt in terms of like open slots and things like that. Murray's going to be going at SGA who didn't play well today, but is phenomenal and Fox and Steph Curry and Luca and all these people. And so it's going to be tougher for him, but I do also think he probably picked up a lot of clout with the, uh, the playoff run that Denver just had in terms of like uh, garnering fan votes and things like that. And I do think there's also a, uh, If he wasn't to be a starter, I think coaches like him well enough and they might put him in there as kind of like people might be taken back by guys he makes it over or whatever. But he's I'm expecting a career year out of him, especially because if he does make all NBA this year, he's eligible for a lot more money and things like that. So I think there will be games where Denver is kind of like, hey, we want to see what you're doing like you're not going to be alone like Jokic is going to help out and you're going to run the two-man game a lot but we want you to be aggressive and take a lot of shots I think Denver will build those into the schedule against bad teams to kind of get his averages up see the kind of guy that his ceiling is like in the regular season because it rocks that he turns into 30 points per game in the playoffs but as far as like uh, the regular season goes he's always been on a team with like five other six other double-digit scores and we've never really need him to play at an all-star level to win a lot of games so i think jamal can do that um i think i don't know if if you if you start pushing the boston three all-stars thing it could just as likely be drew holiday depending on like yes how shit works out in the next like 40 35 games or whatever drew goes on a tear or it's like he's a really good regular season three-point shooter i could see the same thing so yeah i just don't know Mm mm-hmm 
I just think Porzingis has looked super athletic, super spry, super kind of engaged and, and enlivened in a way that like, I do think that can, the surprise factor can carry some of this. Um, we'll just have to see. I mean, yeah, I don't think they're going to get four, right? So it's like, who is it going to be? Do they even, are they even good enough to get three? We'll see. I think on the Murray side, it just kind of circles back to something we talked about with the game a minute ago, which is those second units. uh, I'm looking at it now. This year, it's very small sample, of course, but they've split just Jokic and just Murray minutes pretty evenly. Whereas last year, the just Jokic, no Murray was way more than the just Murray, no Jokic. So if they keep staggering those guys, if those second units can be strong and they do fit well with him, it's size everywhere. It's Reggie Jackson as another ball handler. I, I think that they can kind of make those work to where he's not going to be dependent on Jokic quite so much and can have some of his own moments. We'll see if they rest Jokic or do anything like that to maintain and, and just kind of chill during the regular season, but we will have to see. All right, Jack, what is your second unlikely but possible prediction? Here, let me see. Uh, my second one, I had Sacramento wins the West, and I scratched it out and said Western Conference <laughs> Finals berth because then I had to really think about them beating Denver in a seven-game series. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that feels less plausible. If De'Aaron Fox takes a step forward, uh, becomes even a 36% three-point shooter, to me, he really becomes like a force of nature on the basketball court, just in terms of like guys are already at the free throw line when he catches the basketball and he's still blowing by them. And so if De'Aaron Fox becomes that kind of basketball player, I think the Kings, uh, obviously he was their most reliable guy in the postseason last year anyways, but I, I like their shot in a, a variety of different playoff settings a little bit more. And I think the Warriors were a shit matchup for him last year. If they don't catch that in the first round, uh, things could go differently. I think it's plausible. I love that. We are, we have planted our flag on the Sacramento Kings. We have committed to talking about them every week for the entire season <laughs> because that team is fun and they don't get talked about enough. And we want to see what this year two post breakthrough year looks like. And uh, I think we would absolutely love if that ended in a Western Conference finals berth. Right, Chris? I mean, we're yeah, there. The, the part the part that I find tricky is the Fox at 36 percent because I kind of from three because I wonder if it just would have happened already. That's where like that's where my hesitation comes with that. But I do believe in the continuity. We're big Keegan Murray fans over here. Um, certainly, I'm curious how Mike Brown like handles all of his guards or the Kevin Herter stuff right now. Still start of the season. Duarte playing more minutes than Monk. Like there's some weirdness. There's some Mike Browny kind of weirdness going on here. But I I love the upside of this team. And look, some of this could just be bracket. You know, like do they end up uh, on the opposite side of Denver? Do does a team that they that they match bad against come in with like an injury? You know, like like they could get like the Lakers in round one, let's say, and like LeBron's hurt or AD's hurt, and it's like okay, like that that's an opening, but that doesn't invalidate I think anything that they absolutely could do. You're just playing who's in front of you at that point. Yeah, bracket and trades, I would say, and it kind of links back to the Caruso thing we talked about. I, I want them to be aggressive. I think I'm looking at the Grizzlies and kind of feeling a lot of nervousness if I'm a Western Conference team that thinks like we'll just kind of draft and develop and continuity our way into a championship eventually. I think if you're any team. You gotta put the team. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta put the chips in, right? So I think 
Denver's probably the best example of this because, like, yes, there's a lot of continuity, and it's like the guy Jokic during a Quesarito ad, and Jamal Murray is it was a <laughs> was a pick, and but it's like they lost Jeremy Grant and said, okay, whatever, we're just going to trade for Aaron Gordon. Like they actually just kept mm-hmm. saying we're just going to keep doing this, and they do draft, they do develop, but they're not afraid of like they traded for Thomas Bryant last year, and that dude didn't even matter, but they said, okay, let's just go get a body. Like you have to, I think, be aggressive like that. To your point, Brent, and even aggressiveness in kind of the overall picture too, right? Like Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. Draft and develop, but like that was a risk. He was medically red flag, red flagged by a lot of teams. So it's, it's kind of all of it. And I think the Kings should be in that position of saying like, let's not be afraid to take this to the next level because there are just fit concerns and there are just upside concerns with their two best players that I don't think you can just kind of rest on your laurels. You don't have Nicole Jokic, right? So it's like, do something, get, get spicy with it a little bit. Um, in the name of spice, I have my second one. Okay. The Utah jazz get the number one overall pick. Mm. Similar to, Chris's Caruso uh, prediction. This one, the wording is important because there's two pathways here. And I am doing this a little bit with the benefit of having watched this team this week. I think they will be worse this year based on what we've seen. I don't know about the Collins fit. I think it's not going to be the hit the ground running awesome story that we saw last year. So that did play in. Maybe they just decide to tank. I don't know if Markinen's too good for them to be bad. I don't know. We'll see. But they also... I think just need the the other part of them not being as good, not taking a a step forward in the win loss or just feeling better about their team overall is it might make them realize that similar to what we were just talking about with Sacramento, they just need to get aggressive. And so I think get the number one overall pick could also be finally just saying fuck it and trading for the first pick in the draft next June. So Mm. I meant it kind of both ways, but I think that Utah's core needs a little something to it. And I don't think winning like 33 games or something is going to feel good to them. They kind of need to go one direction or the other. So I think this year might be the down direction and they get that number one overall pick. Yeah. You guys are I looking agree. at me like uh, I'm crazy a little bit. Okay. No, okay. I love this. Good. I love this. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. This I really don't like uh my big thing is I'm not a huge draft guy. And so like, I've just heard that shit's like, Oh, this isn't that good of a draft. And I'm sure by April, yeah. it like the next generational prospect will be getting talked up or whatever. But uh, when I looked at Utah this preseason, it was pretty clear to me that uh, they needed to get worse before they got better. And to have the kind of start they did last year would be really counterproductive. And so, like, I thought they were going to come in and be really bad. And they have been so far. And I'm on board with that. I think Lowry's a pretty classic, like, uh, definitely not an empty stats guy, but just a really talented guy who's not uh, good enough at like the floor raising aspects of basketball. He could be a very talented, like 25 and 10 or whatever. Uh, But in terms of like generating an entire team's offense, the way that somebody like even Sabonis does much less someone like Jokic, Lowry's not that caliber guy. And so, yeah, I think if they don't, fall into the number one pick in the lottery because that's just been really unpredictable year in year out i would not be surprised if they moved up to it i like this i i like team i would like a world where we got more like nba draft trades like we get in the nfl like Mm -hmm. just give me just 
give me some more like weirdness. Like I maybe maybe there's like the fear of the Marco Fultz, Jason Tatum thing that like sits everyone's mind. You don't want to be the GM that like made a value proposition and really got it wrong. But mm-hmm. for the sake of the content, <laughs> I would like yeah, more draft for, for, for entertaining the top ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Give, give me, give me like a top. Give me like a playoff team next year. Saying like, all right, instead of trading stuff, we're gonna like trade into the top into the back of the lottery to get like a wing that we really like just just someone doing something aggressive because I think teams got scared I mean wasn't it like the Bulls with the Doug McDermott trade and whatever it's like let's uh, let's get back to it because it can work Um, all right Chris what's your second one all right so this is MVP related um, and I I don't even know if I believe it because I think if I had to pick today and I, I made this prediction on our season preview show I think Nicole Jokic is going to win the MVP like I think that's probably just gonna happen this year. Best player alive. Hell I'm yeah. Fist bump you. Yeah. We're on the same page, baby. Go ask the thunder. But yes, yes. <laughs> Chet's just like Chet's gotta shave that beard. I, I'm gonna keep saying this. That beard's gotta go. It just doesn't look good. But if I were to say if someone other than Nicole Jokic got an MVP, I think it's one of Jason Tatum or Devin Booker. I think it's one of those two guys. I think Tatum has been picked by a couple people. I think there's a very good reason to do it. And I think if another team from the West is going to have the resume, the wins, and someone will have the stat line, I th- I think it's Book. And I think if one, I think one of those two guys, based on how good their teams are, based on just the, the way things could go this year, I think a little bit for some of the other candidates, mostly Embiid. I think there's going to be a real opening for someone new to crack into that top three, and I, I would bet it, bet on it being Tatum or, or D-Book. So I have a very similar one, and I thought about deleting it because I saw yours in the doc, Chris, but I said, why not? Because I had it as an American wins MVP, and I don't mean it for xenophobic reasons. I just think <laughs> it is a interesting no, Brenda, trend. We- we know you're hanging out at Mar-a-Lago and doing the whole yeah. thing. We get it. It's okay. Oh you can my God. Make, yeah. bring it. I live, I mean, I live in Phoenix. I am. Yeah. I am who I am. Big, um, big Maricopa, big Maricopa County guy. You know. <laughs> I mean, that's where I live. Uh, so oh, I didn't even realize it's that. not that. It's but Giannis is back to back. Then obviously Jokic and then Embiid. Like it has been since was it. Who won it? Who was it? Seventeen? Was it Steph or who was who won the last Westbrook. MVP? That went? it was. I think Westbrook. It was yes, Westbrook or Harden. Yeah, that year. That was yeah. the year. Um, those back to back. So Tatum and Booker. Yes, I would add a guy we just talked about to open the show. Shea Gilgis Alexander would make me would make this prediction correct. I'm not telling you he's going to win it. I also picked Nikola Jokic. Or no, I picked Giannis. I picked Giannis. Um, one more name. Zion Williamson? Okay, calm no. down. I don't know. No. I don't know. Okay. Calm okay. down. Okay. <laughs> calm down. All right. What those were the say? four names I had listed. I, I don't think that they will win it, but those were the four that I had listed. I would agree with Chris that Booker and Tatum are probably the most likely from a team standpoint, but where do we stand on Shea? Like, how crazy would it be for him to win one at some point in his career? And I feel like it usually happens on the front end of the breakout, right? You don't win an MVP when you're 32 and already made the playoffs five times. So, and he was fifth last year, fourth, fifth. He was on the, the short list of, of vote getters. So could be him, could be him sooner yeah. than we realize. 
It's I don't know. The MVP has been really it's tricky because it does feel like the criteria kind of changes. Uh, it's like a very narrative driven award. And I see a world where the Thunder overachieve and it's because of Shea Gilgis Alexander's level of play. And like, I don't know if it's this year, uh, but maybe like next year they do that the year after and he gets attributed with a lot of that. He's mm-hmm. clearly their best player, blah, blah, blah. Um, to me, I think of the names that have been thrown out there, I would probably rank them Booker. I would have Luca above Tatum right now because I think the, uh, the fucking the vibes. I swear to God, after that bank shot three, it's really hard for me to just be like, no, he's probably not winning it. Even if the Mavs just like secure the five seed, I think he'll have a lot of talking heads pushing for him uh, more so than like uh, to me, the Tatum MVP and the Celtics three all stars are mutually exclusive. One of those cannot exist while the other does. Mm. Uh and so, I mean, if the Celtics win, like, 67 games or something, sure, I could see Tatum doing it. But I think Booker will, like, the narrative's probably going to get painted that he's their most durable guy. He's carrying a lot of the load, even though he's out with, like, a toe or whatever right now. Um, he's kind of been a steady presence for a team that sits atop the West, uh, not number one, but, like, number two or number three in this hypothetical. And he's been uh, steadying the ship while Durant and Beal have both, like, missed a considerable amount of time throughout the season. If that shakes out, yeah, I could mm-hmm. be doing it. Uh, however, now that we're a year removed from Jokic winning and several years removed from Giannis winning, and, like, voters have kind of thrown out this arbitrary, like, oh, three in a row something different. You have to be really special to do that. I don't feel comfortable betting against either of them. Yeah. Uh, I think they're just going to be overwhelmingly good with how Denver has kind of showed to be this insane team that Jokic is the focal point of and then what Dame is going to open up. Giannis didn't even play well when Dame had 40. And so, like yeah. – if he can start to capitalize on that space, it's going to get pretty fucking scary. Here are the here are just the odds from BetMGM um, when the season opened. I'm going to run through these: Jokic plus four fifty, Giannis plus five fifty, Luca plus six hundred, Tatum plus seven hundred, Embiid plus eight hundred, Durant and Curry both plus fourteen hundred, SGA plus eighteen hundred, Booker plus 2,000. Then you get into a bunch of plus 3,000 guys. Zion at plus 4,000. LeBron's at plus 4,000. Yeah. Darren Fox at plus 5,000. Yeah, so I, I don't think Durant will win it, personally. Um, just because right now, he's the only healthy guy, but I actually think he's the player on the Suns most likely to be managed from a health standpoint, and I don't think his kind of scoring and offensive creation is going to be at the level, especially on the team where Booker's probably will be there. Steph is the last name I should have said when we were doing the American mm-hmm. thing, because uh, obviously, if the Warriors really exceeded expectations, of course, that credit would go to him, and probably rightly so. We've had the time since he last won it to your point, Jack, but uh, all right. What is your third real one? I know you said you had some rapid fires, but what's your, what's your third one? Uh, my third one. Let's do this. Oh, this kind of throws into Utah in the first pick. I think the Blazers are going to be the worst team in the league. And hmm. maybe I just don't know basketball uh, because I had the Blazers having a Utah-esque start to this season. I thought they were going to be like the fun young upstart team. 
I'm out on that prediction, 110%. Uh, the struggles of a rookie point guard have become abundantly clear to me. DeAndre Ayton uh, is not – I mean, I didn't think he was special after having watched what Jokic did to him, but I thought he'd be like a 20-10 and 10 kind of guy. Not really that. Um, yeah, I just think Portland – and similarly I, to Utah, I don't think they have a guy who's going to be like a number one on a championship team right now. Scoot rocks. And I mean, maybe he'll take like a John Morant type leap or something like that. I don't think Portland would be upset at all going back to the lottery and getting another super high pick. And so I think not only do they have the same incentives that a team like Utah does, I think they're probably more comfortable with tanking just like right off the bat because they don't have the Kelly Olynyk of the world on the roster. They have Jeremy Grant, but beyond that, like it's not a team full of like, I don't know, basketball players that can really contribute to winning. It's a team full of young guys yeah. who nobody expects to even like put up a fight in a lot of games. And the only stable offensive creation that they were getting was Anthony Simons, who is now out for some number of weeks uh, with what is it, a hand thumb, something like that. Yeah, Something like um, that. So, yeah, I think that's a good pick that team. I was so excited to watch them and I didn't watch them this past week yet. And now I'm already not excited to watch them. It happened that fast. I was like, exactly. Portland's going to be on every night because they start so late. I'll turn them on after like, you know, whatever the national game was. Like, I'm going to be all in on the Trailblazers. And now I'm like, do I have to? Like, do I have to commit to that? Do I have to watch this <laughs> team? Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, there will be some awesome scoot moments. And I, I'm a believer in Shade and Sharp. And like, there is yeah. some interesting talent, but um, it's, it's not great. Uh, Chris, you have another one for us? I have two quick ones and we can discuss okay. whichever one you guys want or we can just we can move All on. Right. I feel less strongly about these anyway. Number one, uh, Dallas just doesn't make the playoffs with a plan at all. Things just go haywire for them. Don't really know how strongly I believe that, but <laughs> Kyrie teams are historically weird. I there's some talent deficiencies. I don't think Jason Kidd's a very good coach. There's just like some something in that water I don't fully trust. Secondly, James Harden ends up on a team that isn't the Los Angeles Clippers. Hmm. All right, I have a Clippers one as well. I have this is the last year of this Clippers core. Um, but I feel like, Chris, you and I brought up some like pretty boring old school, not old school, like uh played out narratives with ours. I wanna let I wanna turn the last five minutes of this over to Jack and let him run through his Oh, quicker, easy, easy. unlikely yeah, predictions. Because I feel like yours are going to be tastier than ours. Yeah. Um, my most boring one is probably Memphis misses the play-in entirely, uh, just because mm. like injuries. That's a little spicy, but I, it's possible West is going to be a bloodbath. My favorite one rough this week. Oh, it's fucking gnarly. Down twenty-one to the fucking Wizards is disgusting. Uh, but Franz Wagner is going to be the best player on the Orlando Magic by the end of the season. How we feel? Is he not already? I don't know. I don't. I like Paolo a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I thought that was at least like public consensus from like I don't know the shit I see online. Are you guys like? Are we? Is this three Franz truthers in a call together? 
Well, what's funny is like we you're the perfect guest for us because we also adopted the magic this year. And you somehow came up with kings and magic takes to uh, expose to us. And those are like those are our teams. Uh, Yeah, no, I think Paolo is probably he's just younger. So that was kind of my thinking. But I'm fascinated by if either of them can be like that's the dude with the ball in his hands late. Like, I think that's kind of the question about Orlando this year is which of them is it? And are either of them good enough at that or promising enough, like looking forward that like, that's your, that's your two. And yeah. I would love it if Franz became that. I mean, that'd be, that'd be a great story to, to do it. Like year, a big, a big shot maker yeah. to me when I watch him play, man. And even like, it's not, I call him white Paul George on the timeline sometimes. Probably not quite as shifty, uh, but like he, I don't know, he can get to his spots. He's a quality three-point shooter. I think uh, his game in the closing minutes or in a playoff setting, whatever, a little bit uh, less predictable than Paolo's in terms of not only scoring the basketball, but also kind of like leveraging his gravity into playmaking opportunities for the rest of the team. I'd like him as a passer a little bit more. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's a very that in terms of unlikely but plausible. That's probably the yeah. most likely one I've said so far. I mean, like PG, he's way bigger than you remember. I think, and then he'll make a play or two, and you're like, oh yeah, that guy's like legitimately six nine, six ten. I did not yeah. remember that until he busted it out. But White Paul George, we're gonna have to use that, Chris. I think that's it's gonna that's be, just gonna be the name for him when we talk about them this year. That's a t-shirt. Happy to help. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, we were happy to have you. That was our unlikely but possible NBA predictions for the 2023-24 season. You already know his content, but if you do not already, follow him on TikTok, Twitter, everywhere. He is Jokic Joestar. What's the name of your podcast, man? Plug that too, please. Uh, everyone go listen to the State of the League podcast. I just talked about the Sacramento Kings. Actually, holy shit, uh, Sacramento Kings episode just dropped Thursday. I'll probably be talking about, I don't know, maybe this Nuggets-Thunder game if you want something to go to sleep to or something like that. But go check out the State of the League podcast, please and thank you. Beautiful. That will wrap up this segment. Keep it rolling as we talk Magic, Kings, and some early season NBA trends right after this. Closing out with our weekly waving the flag segment. We planted the flag a week ago. We are now waving it, which is just a basically code word for talking about our teams of the year, the Sacramento Kings and the Orlando Magic, Chris. And um, before we get there, we have a couple of things to talk about that are non-topics. They're not... Devote, we're not going to devote 10 minutes. We're not going to devote 15, but they're just observations. They're just some little things we're noticing. I want to give you the floor to uh, the other team we thought about planting the flag on, which was Kate Cunningham and the Detroit Pistons. What do you got on on the your fellow Midwesterners? Well, to be clear, it would have been planting the flag on Cade, not so much the Pistons, who I don't think are very good. Jalen Duran is a flag-worthy yeah. Young yeah. man, in my opinion. We're we're yeah, we're Jalen Duran uh heads, I think, on the show. But Cade has come back and has done some things that I am like, oh right, y'all must have forgot about this dude. He's throwing one hand offhand passes to the corner to the shooters. He's hitting tough jump shots in close games against tight defense. He's come back and it's you wouldn't have thought he he's missed a year. He looks like the guy that 
was so scintillating as a rookie that went number one for a reason in a very good draft class with Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes and Jalen Green. He's come back, and even amid the Pistons being the Pistons and where they are right now, that guy is absolutely shining. That guy is doing all kinds of fun stuff. I, I have loved – I don't use Twitter a ton, but sometimes I go and look for clips – this basically I use Twitter to like go find like basketball clips of things and like see if there's anyone that can point me in the direction of a game that I, I need to watch or should at least watch part of. And the guys Duncan, who everyone I'm sure knows, has just had like a thread of Cade clips. And like every single one of them is like ratcheting up the Cade thing and you watch it in the context of a game and it's like, oh right. This dude's really good. This dude is worth our attention. It's so good to have him back as just from a pure basketball standpoint. Love the Kate hype. I will add a couple of observations from afar. I have not been able to buckle down and focus on this team. I will admit that I uh, don't really want to, but I will. Um, there's just a lot of pieces that I'm not a huge fan of, and that's where I'm going to start. Uh, please You've start Jaden Ivey over Killian Hayes. Yeah, Killian Hayes being the – he was the recipient of the one like offhand pass to the corner, yeah. and I'm just like, Kate deserves better than this. Yeah, Jaden Ivey is the future of that team. We kind of know what Killian Hayes is. I think at best he's a backup guy. Maybe that's just a size thing. I get that. We don't know. But you got to rip the Band-Aid off and see if Caden Ivey fit. You just got it. You have to do it. And you should do it now. Also, just the most uh, Asar Thompson stat line of all time last night in the Pistons win over the Bulls. Nine mm-hmm. points, 12 rebounds, including five on the offensive glass and five assists. Just... I don't understand those two young men. And Ahmed, not off to a great start. So Asar kind of leading the pack there between the two of them. And then the 50-piece oh. that uh, that Jack mentioned in our last segment that led to a 16-point loss. So that is your Chicago Bulls. The other quick the thing Bulls we want to get to, <laughs> they're back to what they are. They're back on their bullshit. We need, is we need literally. We need, you, they need, you, you can't they, gloss over that. I, I went right there to it. Thank you. Thank you. They need four alphas is what I would also say. Mm. Like I want Rajon Rondo enough. back in the league. Well, I, I got of. a clip. I got a clip of on my Instagram of uh, him. There was like a video of him like shooting threes with Ben Simmons. And I was just oh, like, great. this is not the person Ben Simmons should be like shooting threes with. <laughs> I mean, Rondo actually took them when he was feeling good. I it's more than Ben yeah. can say, but but, but it's yeah, like, I need Rondo it's in the media. Right. I need him on a coaching staff. I just I need him back in my life. I was thinking about the the Boston Cleveland uh, the Boston Miami series where he had like the forty five or fifty or sure. forty whatever point game it was, uh, and went toe to toe with LeBron James. And I was just missing old NBA moments, and Rondo was part of so many special ones, but. Uh, speaking of LeBron James, who was also doing that 11 years ago and is also still doing crazy things, we're going to hit on his minutes real quick, and I think it's just going to be something to monitor, Chris, because mm-hmm. it was the story after opening night. LeBron James, minutes restriction. Is he okay with it? What is Darvin Ham doing? Who the hell knows? What's up here? Is he hurt? Is it just precautionary? We don't know. Then Thursday night, he plays 35. So it's 29 on opening night. The minutes limit is theoretically 28 to 32. Then against Phoenix on Thursday, he plays 35. And Darvin Ham says that they had a little check-in heading into the fourth. LeBron said he felt good. Ham played him the whole fourth. So I guess it lasted a grand total of one day that this whole plan of keeping LeBron healthy was, was going to come to fruition. I, I don't know 
why do it at all if it's that fragile and you can just move on from it? But they need LeBron, so maybe it was stupid from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, the the quotes that he gave after the Suns game was like, we didn't want to start 0-2. And is he just going to be like, hey, we don't want it. We don't want to be like thirty and twenty six. We want it to be thirty yeah, one exactly. and twenty five. You know, like, or like, what is the what is the logic behind this? We didn't want to move half a half a game into the fifth seed. We needed this one. Yeah, we really needed this one. Like second night of a back to back, LeBron played forty, and we're not really sure why, but okay, he did it. The, what I what I would say too is, I think the minutes restrictions for him is ultimately a positive thing if you're looking at this long term i understand it's not easy for him this isn't he's two decades into this career and he's never been someone that just plays lesser minutes yeah but if there's ever a time to do it it's probably this year and it's for the rest of his career to manage himself you should bank on anthony davis if you're actually going to be able to turn this over to ad which i feel like lebron has been talking about wanting to do since he got to la this is kind of the right circumstance to do it the right way to try it to me this is a situation where you really need to stick to this as much as you can i I certainly understand certain nights you're going to let him go and you're going to extend the leash a little bit you know like if he's playing if the if like even if it's like a settlement reason like if he's like they play in cleveland uh i think on black friday so you want to see him play 40 minutes? Yes, but if but if he's yes, personally yes, cuz how many more times am I going to get to do that? Not not very many in person, right? Yeah. But if he's like, "Hey, like I'm at home, I feel good, let me play 35 tonight cuz I'm here." I would respect that. But if it's like the second night of a back-to-back or like the first night of a back-to-back and he's already going to rest the second and you want to just limit him as much as you can and it's in like Utah, then F it. Just let him play 29 minutes and I think it's okay. Yeah. Well, so he's Sunday gonna get annoyed night. about this, right? Like he's just he's gonna get pissed off about this at some point. I think again, he already right? was. Yeah, I think he yeah, said that, on yeah. Tuesday night that he was like kind of open to it as long as it wasn't holding them back as a team. And so I think you also, to your point about the sentimentality or the different kind of reasons, it, it doesn't always have to just be it's a close game. But you know, Thursday was him against Durant for the first time in five years. That's plenty of a reason and and Durant was playing great and they needed LeBron to play so yeah I mean as long as it's kind of a kernel is there maybe it's something that is a little easier for Darvin Ham to convince him of the next time it comes around but Sunday night which people will have watched after they're hearing or seeing this the Lakers play the magic like I could see the Lakers running it up on the magic and maybe that's an opportunity to sit and it can at least just be on the table in a way that it hasn't been before. I think we'll be able to talk about that game and the uh, Pistons again because they play the Thunder on Monday. So those are two that we might have a chance to talk about Tuesday next time we record. But let's dive in. Let's wave the flag a little bit here. We have our adopted teams of the season, the Orlando Magic and the Sacramento Kings. And let's start with Orlando since it has that segue from the Lakers. And we talked about him a little with Jack, actually, which was unplanned. But Franz Wagner, Chris, um, had an incredible FIBA tournament, won the gold medal with Dennis Schroeder and company. And I mean, I kind of talked about the size aspect of him. And I think he's continuing to learn what that middle game, in-between game is going to be. What's if it's not drive all the way to the basket, if it's not crazy pull up three like he's Trey Young, what is it? And that's what I'm watching. But he's been off to a great start and they've been pretty solid as a team, which is not how they started last year. 
Yeah, and it's interesting to watch how he's working. You know, he's getting guarded by Dylan Brooks in the game against against Houston, which is a sign of, I think, respect to put Dylan Brooks, who is, for all his shenanigans, a very good, strong, physical on-ball defender. And you see him in the situation where he, you can see he's still, I think, learning a little, like he's growing in real time a little bit, right? There's a moment in there where he goes to a step back and he's like looking for the step back and it's just like, it's not to set up something else or give him options. It's really just to get the step back off. And that's such a low percentage shot. That's not a great look necessarily, right? But I get why he's going to it. I get why it's in the repertoire. It's a shot that I think will be key for him. The footwork looks like it's there by all accounts, right? Mm-hmm. But you're seeing him, I think, test his limits a little bit with stuff like that. And I think the next evolution for me is to say, okay, can he take something like that more regularly than he is now and use it to get a defender off balance, get into the paint, get a midi up, get to the rim, which he's already pretty good at getting to the rim, finding shooters when he drives and creates penetration, that's going to be like the next step for me is like, how does he kind of use some of these moves to get off shots and then turn them into other things and create advantages for Orlando. That's kind of the big skill for me. I'm watching with Franz, but he's been really good to start. It's been really fun. They're going to be awesome. I lo- I, I don't love the piping on their jerseys as well, but I, I, I think we pick good Jersey teams in terms of color. We like did. the, the we, we did good there. So all of this to me is, is it's good it's it's intriguing and i want to see him like i i can't wait to see him brendan play against the pick pick a good wing defender i want to see him how how franz does against those guys just as much as i want to see paulo against those guys frankly yeah so it's only two games like i'm not trying to overreact here but just to give the numbers uh down in terms of floater and rim attempts which he actually has gotten there quite a bit but again it's kind of that long mid-range or just sort of the passing, which he's a very high IQ player. What happens if if those plans aren't there? And then the threes have been huge. He's taken almost half his shots from deep. But the bigger trend that I think is has caught my attention with Franz is, uh, and we have some two other smaller data points from Orlando's start to get to as well. But the, in my opinion, I think the shots are a little too spread out with this team. Uh, And of course, they've beaten bad teams twice, right? Like Houston looked ugly in that game. And that's the one I think both of us focused on. But then in the the Portland game, it was fairly similar. They got out to a eight-point halftime lead. But you had 16 shots for Franz against Portland, 12 uh, against Houston. And nobody's taken more than 20 shots in a game for this team. It's a lot of Cole Anthony, which it sort of has to be because he's one of the only guys who's a sort of three-level scoring threat on this team. But I kind of just want those guys to take over. Paolo and Franz to just take over. I know last year they were overburdened kind of having to be the creator all the time. They have the balance now, right? They're turning defense mm-hmm. into offense a little better through both of the guys we're going to close out this segment with. They have Fultz and Anthony Healthy, Ingles even, floor spacer with Harris. Um, I just the, it, it is set up for them to take over better than it was last year. They're both a year older, so I kind of actually miss that. I want them to play like they're the best players on this team because they are. And maybe that comes in a game where they're tested more, but that's been something that kind of caught my eyes. I'm just like, where are the two best dudes and why are they not dominating the way we know they can? Yeah, I think that's that's part of them growing up a little bit as well, right? Like they're going to have to 
grow into that to some degree. I think that that's as much as they've had room to grow. I think there is still like an assertiveness. And I think part of it too is if there's something cool Anthony has in spades, I think that guy is not a deferrer. You know, like, you know, like some yeah. of there's gripes from Celtics fans. It's like Marcus Smart is going to take the biggest shot because he's he doesn't defer. Yeah. Cole Anthony kind of is that guy as well. So I, I almost am just like, maybe you got to find ways to like really put Cole Anthony in a, in a box and let him cook in a very specific way and let those guys yeah. kind of have more organic freedom with, with him off the floor in some ways, which is like, he just got his I, back, the other... so there's no stopping him. He's, he's, he's well, ready. I would also say that's like a tradable salary number. That's all I would no, say on that. Solid contract. And to and I think we're both agreeing, right? Like they kind of need him yeah. to do what he's doing. So I'm not saying like Cole Anthony is shooting them out of games or like stifling no. Paolo and Franz. I mean, he's still barely taking 10, 15 shots a game. This is not like, you know, Jordan Crawford or something. It's it's productive, but it is just like honestly, hell, I would rather say like Cole Anthony can also take 20 shots a game, you know, take some from the other guys and and let the the three best scorers kind of cook a little bit. But again, they've been winning. It's been pretty easy, so maybe it balances out. Um Jalen Suggs, surprisingly yes. in the starting lineup. We did our Orlando preview so long ago that we didn't have any training camp quotes, media day stuff, preseason footage to pull from. But I think you and I were mostly in agreement that maybe Suggs in that five was best long term or maybe even Suggs developing enough to replace Fultz in that five and another shooter being in there like that might be their their future but I think we both agreed guys like Ingles and Harris probably would be more likely present positive pieces and they just said to hell with it we're gonna start Suggs and he's playing basketball like Jalen Suggs I think is how I would put it uh, I just don't love the shot selection as much as the defense is an, a, a huge obvious positive for this group Look, and I, I think too. Just I, there's a there's a point where if they have ambitions this year, I wonder how long. You know, it it, it shouldn't be five games. It should be something like twenty five thirty. But I do think you're going to need him to shoot better, both in terms of I think your his selection, which I think you're dead right about, but also his accuracy. You know, he's yeah. great at the rim this year, which is really inflating his effective field goal percentage. But he is at twenty five percent on threes, and he's at thirty three percent on corner threes, according to Clean the Glass. That's with, you know, not a ton. It's a little, he's taking more threes based on percentage by a little bit than last year. Hasn't made a shot in the mid range yet, and that's 28% of his shots. Only 28% of his shots at the rim. That's down 5% from last year, down from 39% as a rookie. He should be a 3D and rim guard. Like, that's what he is to me if he everything works for him, but he has to actually hit the threes. He actually has to be something a little more than what we've seen. And he has to be a guy that can provide spacing. Like there's all these other yeah. benefits, but there has to be more both as a spacer. And I think a little bit of playmaking as well, which I don't think we've fully mm -hmm. seen come from him yet either. So this, I like that they did this. I think this is great, but I think there is going to be a point if this team does have hopes of ascending this year, where I wonder, okay, they have to say, okay, we can't ride with this at a certain point if he if this if what the early very again very early returns but that's that's kind of what i'm looking at with him it does some of this offensive stuff actually evolve in a real way and i think it to kind of combine some of what we're talking about the shots that he's comfortable taking happen at times when the best players don't have or use the dominating creation ability 
and make a great possession out of the half court offense. Right. And that like bad players being overly involved can be not bad. Developing offensive players being over involved can be a symptom of an offense that doesn't have a plan. Right. It's the Tony Allen thing. It's the Marcus smart thing to your point. That's, that is a byproduct of what happens when you don't enter each half court possession going this guy or that guy, this set or this set, this type of shot or that type of shot. You suddenly have Jalen Suggs saying, all right, sure, I'll take a shot. You know, um, also, I, I think you're, what, what, you're dead on once one thing, one just yeah, to yeah. finish on your point that Suggs is a much better open court player than anything else. That was what he was great at at Gonzaga. That's what made him interesting and special. The dude played quarterback. We all know the story. They have run on the fewest percentage of their possessions in the NBA. Again, two games, but they are dead last in terms of transition frequency. That just shouldn't really be the case for such a young team and a team that has so many playmakers. You'd think that they can just hit that outlet pass and just boom, it's a it's a layup. And they don't really take advantage of that. So that that would be an easy thing for Suggs to just switch, flip the switch and wow, he just got six more points a game or, you know, whatever, two points and an assist out of just focusing on that transition attack. But uh, what what did you have? The other thing I would just say is this is someone to your point, like that has been at the center of everything for probably his entire basketball life mm-hmm. in some ways, right? Like he think of the Gonzaga team. He hits the defining shot of that tournament, right? You know, yeah. I mean that, that sparked at least in here, Brendan, you know, debates that he should go three over Mobley like that. And over Scotty, mm-hmm. like that was like a real thing that happened Him over Scotty was like a given. We all thought it was a lock. And then it was then, a surprise right. that Toronto picked yeah. Barnes. Yeah. Right. There is, again, it's year three. So, like, you kind of would hope you would have figured some of this out by now. But I do, I always, and maybe he'll not, you know, it's hard to ask guys these questions. It's, it's, you're never going to get, I think, the full truthful answer on this because it's not a very fun thing to say or talk about, really. I get why they wouldn't want to. But I do wonder if they're still just like he's adapting to it's, it's like his role is clearly kind of one thing, but does he still think it's bigger than it is? Does he like, what, where is the, where does this, the kind of his understanding of how we fit in some of this, where is that kind of understanding of spatially at right now as he's kind of going here? The other guy who has had no issue embracing his role and frankly dominating in it in an impressive return to the court is Jonathan Isaac. I think has to be one of the stories of this week for Orlando, but even in the NBA, didn't play quite as much against Portland, only eight minutes, not fully sure what contributed to that. Uh, It seemed like he was pretty neck and neck with seven through 10 in their rotation on Wednesday. And then, pretty significantly behind the rest of those guys in a little bit of a closer game against Portland. But uh, against Houston, I mean, he just changed the game in that third quarter. He he doesn't just block shots. He, like, explodes the basketball with his hand. Like, it feels like he is trying to pop a balloon or something when he is blocking these shots. And that third quarter against the Rockets, they won that quarter 33-26, to 26, took control of the game, really. And a lot of that was just him swallowing stuff up as one of the most long athletic players in the league still, even after so much of an injury problem, and just turning that into completely easy buckets on the other side, just like unfathomably easy fast break points to punish a a Houston team that did not look very organized in that game. So, I mean, honestly, there's obviously the sentimental thing, Chris, of just the dude is back on the court. Let's see what he can do. Can he kind of save his career? But if he can play like that, he's going to be a net positive, not just a good story. 
Yeah, you know, he, Cole Anthony had the quote calling him probably the biggest difference maker on this team as a whole because he can guard one through five. He has that high of a motor. If he's healthy and from a basketball standpoint, this is someone that absolutely not only can really change things for them, but also can be someone who I think fits really well with their young guys. Like, if you're going to kind of tell me who's the perfect third forward next to Franz and Paolo, it's something like Jonathan Isaac, assuming health and all that stuff. So we will see. I think identity-wise, too, you know, I get being the brother of the star player goes a long way, but the identity of this team is switchable, long, athletic, versatile. Isaac as an option, as some kind of backup center slash front court help defender with Paolo playing backup center or whatever as as one of the guys doing that I think makes them even more fun and exciting in the future and probably is a little closer to their destiny as a team than whatever Mo Wagner is doing who is totally solid and serviceable but like kind of feels like a odd man out stylistically a lot of the time all well, right let's move on I, I well and Isaac's just like the lottery ticket if he gets back to where he yeah. was that's something you're not going to find easily if we think this team is going where it's going yeah exactly and like the contract the next contract matters more than whatever this one is it's weird and kind of an overpay because he hasn't been available but like i don't think he's probably going to get an increase on that the next time he comes up so you know you can kind of figure that problem out when your team is actually expensive and just to address like the dude can be controversial off the court i'm definitely not going to sit here and ignore that or act like it doesn't factor in but whether it's the broadcast his teammates I, I did a feature on Jonathan Isaac once upon a time. He is universally beloved. He just is. Everybody that has ever sort of talked about him publicly seems to have nothing but good things to say. So, you know, I guess that's kind of my stance on whatever controversy has followed him or whatever he's been focused on during his injury off the court. It's like, yeah, I, I think that that might raise some eyebrows in some circles, but the dude is seems to be a great teammate and somebody that people rally around dating back to high school in Florida, let alone Florida state or, or the magic. So uh, I guess until it flares, it's uh, rears its head. I'm not going to focus too much on it from a basketball standpoint. Um, let's move on to the Sacramento Kings who are, who are our West coast flag waving team. And we'll start with another breakout of a young player, just like we did with Orlando. And that's Keegan Murray, Chris, who had 15 points and eight rebounds at Utah to start the season. And then a a really solid 16.7 rebound game against stiffer competition in the Golden State Warriors. That is the game we focused on this week from these guys. And it just feels like a continuation of what you saw by the end of last season into summer league. Uh, I think it was whoever the yes doc rivers i think right was on the broadcast yeah. and he pointed out that the you can just clearly see the core strength and lower body strength gains that that keegan has made allowing him to get those pull up and step back jumpers off and that's going to be i think the next level for him maybe some of the drive stuff comes over the course of this season but if he's an even more deadly three-point shooter this is the guy who broke the rookie record for made threes last season you're telling me he gets even better from deep than that uh we can talk about the defense but even just that as a starting point is pretty exciting yeah i mean he got the clay thompson co-sign as well uh post game and look i i understand sometimes who he guys, guarded all, all all night yeah that's a great yeah it, it's not some random person yeah exactly no and it's like i do i personally put weight into guys in that situation putting respect on a young guy's name 
mm-hmm. when a, a guy who's a multiple time champion, a multiple time all star, I put weight into when Clay Thompson says something like that. So I, I think he's getting the rub. And I think especially amid w- the rest of the, the the struggles with Kevin Herter, which you know we're going to talk about, Duarte being in there, is there less Malik Monk kind of in, in their plans here? I do think there is a real opportunity and maybe a need if we wanted to go, if you wanted the word of that strongly, I think you could for what Murray can be and what he is. And for him to be a better version of himself, it could cover up a lot of the other kind of question marks, I think, within this rotation, Brendan. I, I really think that the potential is is that high. And if you're betting on continuity, this that's kind of the one of the things you really need to work out in a major way. And he's really the only young guy with upside on this team, I think. You know, like Davion Mitchell... Okay, you know, I, th- I think he'll continue to make gains. I think even being a playable offensive player uh, is is a is a a goal that you have to be realistic about for him. And then, you know, it's like we'll we'll see what the rest of, of what they do as they build out this roster. But it it has to be Murray, and I think you have to feel good that it it, it will be. I think mm-hmm. on the Herder side, which we can maybe pivot to from here, the f- the even just the idea of Murray being a dynamic enough threat from deep with the footwork and the relief quick release and the confidence which he has in spades i think murray um to take over some of the two-man game dribble handoff stuff that herder rocked with sabonis last year allows you to get more creative and not be so tethered to herder who does not seem to be long for a starting spot on this team if i'm if i'm reading the tea leaves right and just kind of being blunt about the situation right now, Chris, it's it's only week one and it already feels like we're headed there. Um, I thought that what Mike Brown said was pretty transparent and De'Aaron Fox was, it's not so much that I think Fox's comments were out of pocket or wrong in any way, but it's more like if a teammate is expressing how dire the situation is this early on, that kind of, opens the door for me to be like, okay, so we're not just like overreacting to a cold week. You know, I think the problems date back to last year's playoffs. They're continuing now. And if he's not shooting the ball, he's not doing a lot else for you. And so it starts to be a question of who else goes into that spot. Does he get benched period? How do you get him right? Do you think about trading him? It just starts to kind of cascade from there because we know the team's limitations are are on the defensive end, and Herder already was a weak link there. So I think it it might be the question about this team going forward if he can't kind of heat up pretty quickly. Yeah, I I think certainly that's someone you also need his shooting. I think it's a big part of being a guy that works off of Fox and Sabonis. You need to find as much shooting as you can. Certainly, I think he's someone that if you really needed to, I think his salary is not so crazy, and he's got a skill set I think another team would be like, sure. Like, that's not a net negative anyway, but I think the optimal Mm -hmm. version is you need him to figure this out. And look, we know shooting can be cyclical. We know sometimes guys just come and go, and he's probably, he maybe just does get hot at some point, but he's also not a guy that's providing you a ton of other stuff, you know? And I mean, we've seen Duarte's minutes. We've seen, they have Davion Mitchell, who's not the same offensive player, but you kind of at least know what you're getting in a very stable way. Yeah. I don't think it's trade him now. He has three years left on his deal. It's, 
no, I think I kind of came across saying that more than you did. So I'm, I'm, I'm just clarifying that I don't think that's what you should do, but it's obviously this is the NBA that that will be the conversation. And if it lasts closer to the trade deadline, I don't think it's crazy. Um, but let me just ask you this right now, setting aside any of that craziness. Um, if it's not him, who should be the fifth starter and or closer for this team? Understanding Malik Monk at times was a closer for them. Is it him? Do you go elsewhere? What would you pivot from Herter if, if you're Mike Brown? I think it has to be Monk. I think the identity of this team is offense. I think the, the identity of this team is patching together a defense that is aided by being really hard to guard every spot on the floor and having a chaos agent like Malik Monk, I think can really help against that defenses. I think you need to ride him to some degree barring changes to this roster. So I kind of think it has to, to be Monk if you just, and also just for the sake of having another ball handler on the floor, if he's not playing and, and as good as we think Murray could be, I don't know if he's ready to kind of ascend to being second ball handler type Right now, I think you should get him some reps, but I think you need a second guy on the on the floor who's going to be able to handle off of Fox and Monk. I think is by far your best option in that case. Yeah, I think it's really a question of if you don't have a two way option, what are you picking? I think Kessler Edwards is somebody that should just be playing more in general, but he's an yep. example of a one way option because he's really only a defensive player. He he made his threes for them last year, which is part of why I'm confused why he's not playing, but. Um, let me make the case for Sasha Vizenkov as the fifth guy. Well, do, do you, this is kind of a funny first circle moment because you remember when I like brought him up in our Kings preview and was like all excited about this. And yeah, like, I, I think I pooed it a little bit. Yeah, you did. No, you did. I've been, it's okay. And look, here we are. Here we are, Brendan. Full circle. Here we are. I think he should be playing more. I don't really love Chris Duarte. I think just as a player, you know, I don't want to bring preconceptions and just like decide that he's not going to work. I, I, you, you made a trade, you give him time. It's not like he's a terrible basketball player, but he's kind of just uh, one of those guys that it's like, he's big and what else, you know, like Kevin Knox type of type of thing a little bit, you know, for me where he's not really stopping anybody on as a perimeter defender. He doesn't make his open threes consistently. Okay. So what are we looking at here? Whereas the Zankov, I think, Number one, the size and the IQ. They're not a great defensive team. I'm not saying Vizankov is some sort of stopper, but he, he rotates well. He helps aggressively, and he's big. And so I think he could actually end up being a little bit of a better part of their defense. And just if you're going to have Sabonis out there and you don't have a roster with an obvious like athletic freak to put next to all of that, then going with Vizankov, Murray, and Barnes around your best players is a kind of funky, cool way to try to do it. And he can make his spot up threes. He's a willing passer. Um, I don't think it's what they will do. I think Monk is probably closer to what they will do. Maybe even Trey Lyles when he's healthy, because they've been comfortable with him out there before might be where they go. But um, I, I like the idea of his Did you have any Duarte thoughts? I know you had a note on him too, and I don't want to let my negativity no, be the, uh, the prevailing. I'm- point here he, he he he's fine i just like he played 11 minutes more than monk against the warriors that just doesn't make sense to me mm-hmm. even if you believe in the size and you believe that he can be a more of a two-way impact guy for you that just i don't know if that's like a bad mike brown instinct i don't know if that's just like a feel for the game thing whatever it is 
I just don't believe that that guy is going to be in a lot of your best five, and I just don't see a world where he should be playing 11 more minutes than, than Malik Monk. That just, that just does not track to me whatsoever. While we're just complaining about rotation decisions, I will add that I think Alex Len is just better than JaVale McGee. Yeah, I this was like on my like initial list of notes, and I crossed it off because I was like, I can't, I can't get into like an Alex Lund, Javale McGee like backup center debate. We don't have to debate it. Just a thought, just a note as we wrap up. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It's early. It's fine. They're winning. They played the Warriors competitively, and that's kind of all you really care about at this particular moment in time. But. Lot going on here. A deep roster, which is a good problem to have, but still some things to be to be worked out. And you know, this is what happens. You have a great shooting season, somebody like Kevin Herter, and then what happens if you have a less good shooting season and the magic kind of goes away? What do you do? How do you pivot? That'll be what we follow all year long. That was the Just Basketball Show. We'll be back on Wednesday. Please hit follow or subscribe wherever you're finding us. Follow us on social media as well. We are going whole hog on tiktok this year that is the place number one that you will want to find us and we will uh be of course on twitter and instagram throughout the year as well thank you for listening we'll catch you next time